Joshua chapter 2. Interesting chapter. Joshua is getting ready to send two spies into the land, especially into Jericho. And if we remember, for those of you that were here last week as we started this study of Joshua, that the whole book of Joshua is so relevant to us as Christians today because it's really all about gaining new territory for God in our lives. It's about going further and going beyond with God where we've ever been before in our lives. And so all the principles of Joshua, even though a lot of it is talking about you know, battles and all of this, it really the principles are the same. How do you and I get from wherever we are with God now to a higher level, to a deeper level? That's what the book of Joshua is really all about. And it's very interesting that as, as Joshua led the people across the Jordan River, which was sort of their first obstacle, that, that really reminds us of whatever the Jordan is in our life, as we talked about last week. What, what is that river, if you will, that's in front of me that is keeping me from going further with God? And, and remember, God promised uh, his people in Joshua chapter 1 that he would, if they just put their faith in him, he would move out of the way, whatever was in their way, and making progress with God. And we're especially going to see this in the next couple of chapters, uh, Joshua chapter 3 and Joshua chapter 4 with the Jordan River as well. But the idea was, were they willing to cross the Jordan? And then once they got across the Jordan because of all the promises and pledges that God made, then they, they also entered this idea that the next thing sort of facing them was this city called Jericho. So we pick it up in Joshua chapter 2, where Joshua sent two spies and instructed them to find out what you can about the land, especially Jericho. Now, I find it interesting that Moses sent 12 spies into the land, and that didn't work, so Joshua only sent two. It's like, you know, the 12 didn't work, so let's just send, you know, let's send two. Um, but he sent these spies into the land. And, and why did he do that? Well, again, here, here's a good principle for us to remember. Even though God, in chapter 1, made all these promises and pledges and reminded the people in Joshua about all the things that he would do for them. I'm going to be with you. Uh, you know, you just focus on my word and focus on my, all this stuff. That it doesn't preclude us, as God's people, doing our part. That, that faith really is active. And, and so even though God says, I will help you and, and, and let's do this, that then we don't just sit back and just go, okay, God, do it. Just, you know, pick me up and, and throw me down the field, if you will. No, God wants us to, in a sense, carry the ball with him down the field. He wants us to do our part. And that's why Joshua sent the two spies in. It, it wasn't uh, it was in response to what God had already told them. And so we are reminded that faith is active. We're going to see this as we talk mostly tonight about a gal by the name of Rahab. Because her faith was active as well. In fact, she is talked about uh, as far as her active faith in the book of James, in the New Testament, where James holds up Rahab as an example of active faith. So even going back to Sunday's message, it's amazing how 
when God lays these series on my heart, how they all sort of intertwine. But it's the idea that there's something different between knowing and actually believing, trusting, or doing, if you will. And we see that here with Rahab. We see that here with Joshua. What is it that God wants me to act upon right now in my life? What, what promise, what pledge, what, what command, what directive, what instruction does God want you and I to act upon? Because we always must, faith is not inactive, faith is active. And the foundation is the promises and the word of God. So the Bible says that these two spies, verse 1, stopped at the house of a prostitute named Rahab and spent the night there. Now, a couple things. First of all, when we get to this part, some people just freak out, you know. Uh, There have been people down through the years who try to water down Rahab as a prostitute. But if you study the language, it is clear she was a prostitute. Now, we don't know at this point in, our, in her life, was she still prostituting? Had she given it up? What it, we don't know exactly where she was in the process, but we do know that she was a prostitute. So then the question comes up, why would these two spies stop at her place? Well, we learn in verse 15 of chapter 2 that her house, maybe for her previous trade, or maybe for her present trade, was situated in a very strategic place in the city of Jericho. It was on the wall. And being on the wall, verse 15, shows us that, you know, travelers in and out of a city like that, that would be a place where you would hear lots of information going back and forth. So the idea that these two guys ended up in Rahab's house, which was on the wall where there would be lots of traffic in and out of the city, and they would hear lots of things of people talking in and out of the city, actually then makes a lot of sense because they were sent there on a reconnaissance mission. They were sent there to find out things, to find out, in a sense, not only, I think, maybe to, to begin to map out a military strategy at this point of how they were going to attack Jericho, because as yet, God hasn't told them how he wants them to attack. So again, they're just doing what they think is their part. But at, at any rate, they were going to find out not only about that, but they were going to find out about what the people of Jericho were really thinking. So they stop at Rahab's house. Now again, Rahab is one of these fascinating Bible characters And and it's an encouragement to all of us. Because no matter where we think Rahab was, as far as her immorality, had she already given up prostitution? Was she still in the midst of it? Was, we don't know. But we do know this. We know that God's grace reached out to this young gal, Rahab. And that we know the end of the story that, that God saved Rahab, if you will, and brought her unto himself in spite of her past and what she had done or was doing. And for all of us as needy sinners who need the mercy and forgiveness of God, who wonder how could God ever love me after what I've done, and then even how could God even use me, Rahab is a great example and encouragement. Because not only did God accept Rahab when she turned to him in faith, but she used 
He used her in a great way. He used her faith and he used her life after she came to God and how she turned her life around to God to speak volumes of the potential that each of us have, no matter what we've ever done in our past, to not only have it wiped away by the blood of Christ, but to see this wonderful future and plan and purpose that God has for us again, no matter what we've done. And Rahab is a great example of that. Think about the legacy of Rahab. Rahab, again, at some point when she got her life straightened out and didn't prostitute anymore, she married a guy by the name of Salmon. And Salmon and Rahab had a son by the name of what? Anybody know? Boaz. And then Boaz met Ruth, and you know the story, right? And that's why in the Gospel of Matthew, when God writes the genealogy of Jesus Christ, which, by the way, in Bible times especially, women were left off genealogy lists. They just were. So for God to include, first of all, the obstacle of her being a woman, oh, and then, by the way, a Gentile woman, and a prostitute, shows the kind of God that we have. And so as you think about Rahab tonight, again, Use the life and the story and the legacy of Rahab to maybe not only encourage you into what God can do with you and to not allow your past to be this cloud that hangs over your head for the rest of your life, but use it maybe to encourage someone else that you know. A family member, a friend who struggles with how could God ever love me? How could he accept me? How could he ever use me? How could he ever do anything with my life? Point them to the story of Rahab. The prostitute. Because she is a wonderful example of the grace of our God. So somehow, verse 2, the king of Jericho received this report. He said, note well, Israelite men have come here tonight to spy on the land. So the king of Jericho sent this order to Rahab. Turn over the men who came to you, the ones who came to your house, for they have come to spy on the whole land. But the woman hid the two men. Very interesting. The word hid or hide there in the Hebrew language means to treasure. In a sense, that's what you would sometimes do with something very valuable or of treasure. You would sort of hide it away so nothing would happen to it. And the idea here is that Rahab is beginning to show her faith in active ways because by hiding these two men, in a sense, she's saying, I treasure you guys for this reason. I've already heard about your God. I know that you are connected to this God. I want to know more about this God. And therefore, I want to make sure that I have time to talk with you. Rahab is a great example of treasuring the things of God and the people of God and the relationships that we have. And that's one of the things that she did when she hid the two men. Now, hiding the two men wasn't a problem. But here's what was a problem. She goes on and basically says, I don't know where they came from. Verse 5, when it was time to shut the city gate and basically lock down the city for the night, I don't know where they were heading. They left. 
why don't you chase after them quickly, for they ha- uh, you might have time to catch them. Verse 5. And yet the Bible says she had taken them up to the roof and had hidden them in the stalks of flax she had spread out on the roof. Now again, this, this part of Rahab's story gets debated a lot. You know, was it okay for her to lie? Is it ever wrong to do right, to do wrong, you know, situational ethics, whatever? And I've just always come to the place where there's nowhere in the Bible where it says it's okay to lie. There just isn't. I can't find it. I think lying is always wrong. So I think that what Rahab did here was wrong. Okay? It was lying. And God never commends Rahab for her lie. Rahab is commended by God for her faith. And so, I don't want to gloss over the lie here, but, but it, it is, in this sense, another encouragement, because even though she had this level of faith, uh, that her belief in God did not just immediately change her moral compass of her life. But when you think about it, that's true for anybody. I mean... Anybody who becomes a Christian and gets saved, out of whatever, you know, they don't automatically turn into super-Christian overnight. Nobody does. I don't know about you, but I've been a Christian for 35-plus years, and i still got a long way to go. So the idea is that even though Rahab has exhibited some faith and maybe belief in God, obviously it's not like she's this super-moral person all of a sudden. She's got growing to do. And obviously we know from the legacy of Rahab, she must have put herself into a growth situation and continued to grow in her life so that God could use her more and more. But I don't want anyone to get, in a sense, the idea from the story of Rahab that it's okay to lie. It's never okay to lie. So meanwhile, verse 7, the king's men tried to find them on the road to the Jordan River near the fords. The city gate was shut as soon as they set out in pursuit of them. Again, so the city was in lockdown so that they could prevent people from coming in and out so they could trap these guys. Now, before the spies went to sleep, Rahab went up to the roof. She said to the men, here's the key of the whole thing. I know the Lord is handing this land over to you. Word no in the Hebrew, to perceive, to recognize. In a sense, Rahab is saying, because of what I have heard with my ear, I really have come to believe that this is the way it is. That your God is entrusting now you with this land because he entrusted us with this land centuries ago. And and we just, we blew it. We blew it. You know. We were not good stewards of this land and, and of the people who lived here or anything And so God now is going to take away from us because we weren't good stewards and he's going to give it to you. And she perceived and recognized that. Now, obviously, Rahab wasn't the only one in the city of Jericho that heard about these things. In fact, we're going to see that many people in the city, they were all frightened and scared. But it's one thing to go, oh my goodness, look what's happening to us. It's another thing to take another step and go, but I believe in you, God. And I believe that you can rescue me and deliver me and save me out of the coming judgment and all that. It's a whole other thing there. 
It's sort of like people today, you know, people today can live in our world and they can be frightened and fearful and all stressed out about all the things that goes on in the world. Anybody can do that. It's a whole other thing to put our trust and faith and belief in God and go, but God, I know that the world is in your hands and you are sovereign and you're going to take care of me and you've got a plan and purpose for all this and you're still on the throne. And so, you know, I'm just going to trust you. That's a whole other step. And so Rahab here is, in a sense, showing her whole other step of faith that she's taking that a lot of other people in Jericho weren't willing to take. Notice she also says, I know the Lord. And the word that she uses there is the word that the Hebrews would use for their one true God. I know that the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, the covenant name for Jehovah in the Old Testament, is handing this land over to you. We are absolutely terrified of you. And all who live in the land are cringing. Literally, the word means to melt or dissolve before you. Wow. Now, here's the thing. Keep your finger there in Joshua and go back, first of all, to the book of Exodus, chapter 23. Because believe it or not, this is what God promised the people of Israel would happen when they came into the land. God basically told his people, if you walk with me into this land, I will go before you. And though those spies came back long ago when Moses sent them out and they were afraid of the people in the land. Oh, there's giants in the land and they're too numerous and and there's no way we can overcome them. The, The obstacles are too big. One of the things that you and I learn about Joshua from Joshua chapter two is that God can overcome any obstacles. If a Gentile woman prostitute can be in the genealogy of Christ. That shows us how many obstacles God can overcome in, in our lives. And, and, and God can overcome the obstacles that, that the Jews thought they were facing. And God can overcome the obstacles in our own mind, the doubts and, and, and the unbelief and all of that. God says, come on. You and I can cross this Jordan together and we can conquer this Jericho and whatever is in our way for making progress with God, I will help move out of the way. And God basically said, I'm going to go before you and instead of you being afraid of them, I want you to know that if you walk with me, they're actually going to be afraid of you because I'm going to put that in their heart. Notice in Exodus 23, this promise, verse 27. God says, I will send my terror before you. And I will destroy all the people whom you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And then if you go over to Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, just over a couple more books, through Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, go to Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 25. First of all, Deuteronomy 2, verse 25. God says, This very day I will begin to fill all the people of the earth with dread and to terrify them when they hear about you. They will shiver and shake in anticipation of your approach. This is exactly what was happening in Jericho. Rahab is saying, we are shaking in our boots. We are melting. We are cringing. We are dissolving. You see. And then go over to Deuteronomy 11, verse 25. God says, nobody will be able to resist you. The Lord your God will spread the fear and terror of you over the whole land on which you walk, just as he promised 
See, God, God says, if you just trust me, what you're afraid of actually turns around that they're actually going to be the ones with fear. And many times when you and I aren't, aren't able to make that step because of our fears, because of the fear of the unknown or, or looking at ourselves and, and again, our doubt and inadequacy or, or overestimating the, the power of the enemy. God says, but if I'm with you, isn't that all you need? Which goes back to what Paul says in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? And that's exactly what we see happening here. So back to Joshua chapter 2. So basically what Rahab is telling the spies confirms that God was faithful to his promise. That the things that he promised back in Exodus and Deuteronomy were coming true in the city of Jericho. And here's why, verse 10, she goes on. For we heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you left Egypt, and how you annihilated the two Amorite kings, Sihon and Og, on the other side of the Jordan. When we heard, and again, remember, hearing here is not just physical hearing. In Rahab's mind, it, it is literally believing. When, when we heard the news, we lost our courage. The word courage here literally means breath or vitality of life. And no one could even breathe for fear of you. Literally, she's saying our life was sucked out of us. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. In other words, he's the one true God. Now, obviously, she lived in a polytheistic culture. And, and here she is basically acknowledging, I don't believe in all these gods. I believe in your God, and I believe he is the one true God. And she's placing her faith in the God of the Bible. So she goes on in verse 12. So now promise me this with an oath sworn in the Lord's name. Because I have shown allegiance or kindness or goodness or faithfulness, if you will, to you. Show allegiance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness to my family. Give me a solemn pledge. The words literally speak about give me something reliable. Give me something that I can count on. And when I read those words, I thought, wow, Rahab is no different than a lot of people today. A lot of people today are looking for something solid, something stable, something secure, something reliable, something that they can count on. What a great statement. And you and I, hopefully as the people of God, know what the answer is. The only thing stable, secure, that can be relied upon is God and his word. So she goes on to say, because I have done this, will you, verse 13, spare the lives of my father, my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver us or rescue us from death? And the med said to her, if you do, or if you die, may we die. Notice that they pledged their own lives to protect Rahab when they came back and conquered the city. But they also specified three conditions that Rahab had to meet in order for her and her family to remain alive and secure. The first condition, verse 14. She had to keep the mission of the spies a secret. They said, do not report what we have been up to. Then when the Lord hands the land over to us, we will show unswerving allegiance to you. So number one condition, you can't tell anybody about what we've been up to. 
Condition number two, verse 17. She had to make her home known to the Israelites when they attacked. She had to do something to set her home apart from others so that they would be able to identify it. So, verse 18. When we invade the land, tie this red rope in the window through which you let us down. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. And then the third condition, verse 18 and 19, she had to assemble her family into her home before the battle started. And so that's when they said, gather together in your house, your father, mother, brothers, and all who live in your father's house. It's sort of the same thing as the picture of Noah's ark. Get everybody into the ark before the flood comes. Then once the flood comes, once you're in there, you're going to be okay. Same idea. You get into your house, you give us that sign, we won't touch your house, everybody in there will be safe. So verse 21, she says, I agree to these conditions. And she sent them on their way and then tied the red rope in the window. Literally, the word tied in the Hebrew means to gird or to anchor. In other words, she was anchoring all of her dreams, if you will, everything on this identifying mark. All of her hopes was on that. Because if they came into the city and either didn't see it or whatever, then they were going to perish with everybody else. So it was all on that. that. That was what she was girded to. That was what she was anchored in. Again, we'll come back to that in just a moment. So then they left. The people of Jericho, some of them pursued. Uh, Verse 24. When these two spies got back, after they had taken steps of faith, notice the great confirmation and assurance that God was giving them. Because when they get back to the camp and begin to tell Joshua what happened, they told Joshua, surely... The Lord is handing over all this land to us. In other words, it's ours for the taking. And all who live in the land are cringing before us. Literally, melting, dissolving, fainting. The idea is when you and I take those even small steps of faith, God will give us confirmation and assurance so that we are encouraged to keep on moving forward with Him. And that's exactly what happened here with Joshua and the spies. Another thing, though, I want to mention is this because I've certainly seen this in my life. I think I've got all the reasons why I'm going down a particular path in my life, if you will. And I get down that path and realize that sometimes the reasons I went, thought I was going down that path or that God was leading me down that path had nothing to do with me going down that path. And I want you to think that in the context of these spies. These spies primarily thought they were on a reconnaissance mission And that they were probably going to have information that was going to help Joshua and the other military leaders of Israel plan some kind of military strategy to attack Jericho. Whenever you read the end of the story, you realize that that really wasn't it at all. The The two primary reasons why God wanted these spies to go in there is he wanted to save Rahab and her family. And he wanted to encourage their faith. And by them taking the step of obedience to do what Joshua asked them to do, their faith was encouraged, and they were going to get Rahab and her family out of Jericho safely. Now I want to go back for just a moment to this red rope in verse 18. Isn't it significant that what she tied outside of her house to signify that in a sense she was now a believer in Jehovah was a red rope. 
red has always had significance ever since Adam and Eve in the garden when they sinned and God sacrificed animals to clothe them and the shed blood and all through the Bible. The Bible talks about the significance of blood and about the significance of being safe. I mean, it's even a beautiful picture of sort of the Passover that God told Moses that when the death angel comes into Egypt, And destroys all the firstborn of the land. If you by faith take the blood of an unblemished lamb. And you place it over the doorposts and lentils of your house. The death angel will pass over. And and nobody in that house will die. All will be safe. Well this red rope is sort of same kind of symbol if you will. Same kind of significance. In a sense they're, they're... hidden, they're protected behind this red rope. And the other very interesting thing for me that I found as I studied this is the word rope in the Hebrew language really has the concept of hope or expectation. If you you pull up the word rope in the Hebrew, it really means hope or expectation. In other words, don't miss the fact that, again, by by lowering that rope outside of her house to identify it to the coming uh, Israelites, that was where her hope was. And not that her hope was in the rope, in a sense. Her hope was in the word of God that he had spoke to his people, that she had heard. And again, she said, I know the Lord is handing this land over to you. So her hope, even though it was symbolized by the red rope, her hope was really in what we talked about Sunday. It was in the word of God and the promises of God. That's where her hope was. Her hope was in the Lord and in his word. And not much has changed in a couple thousand years. Because we need to be people of hope. And we need to remember where our hope is at. And let's even remember what Biblical definition of hope is, hope is not some kind of sort of wishy-washy optimism. It's it's not a, a wishful thinking. In the Bible, hope is confident expectation. I know that what God has said in the future is going to happen because God said it. And as we said Sunday, He cannot lie. That's why we can have such confidence, such hope, if you will. Because our hope isn't in anything man-made or temporal. Our hope is in the Lord and in what God has said. To illustrate this, you can leave Joshua for a moment and go over to the book of Psalms. In fact, we're going to leave Joshua for good for tonight. Psalm 39. Here's a great verse. Psalm 39, verse 7. But now, O Lord, upon what am I relying? You are my only hope. You are my only hope. When Rahab looked at that red rope outside of her home, her hope, her confident expectation that her and her family would be okay went beyond that physical red rope to the word and promises of God to his people, and through his people, to her. And we need to have our hope in God. Who else and where else are we going to hope? What else is reliable? Who else is totally reliable besides God? And then turn with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 15. 
In Romans 15, verse 13, Paul tells the Romans that our God is the God of hope. That, in fact, that's what he calls him in the beginning of chapter 15, verse 13. He is the God of hope. So if we know that God is our hope, how do we develop, in a sense, this hope in God? Look at verse 4. For everything that was written in our former times, Romans 15, verse 4, was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the Scriptures, we may have hope. Apart from the Scriptures, we're going to struggle with hope. Because the Bible teaches of of itself that it is through us saturating our minds with the Scriptures that our hope is developed. We gain hope. We have hope through the encouragement of the Scriptures. That's why I want to build a church that centers everything around teaching people the Word of God because we live in a world of hopelessness. We live in a world where people like Rahab are saying, give me a solemn pledge. Give me something I can rely on. Give me something I can count on. Give me something that's sure. Here it is. This is what can give us hope. And and God, when He gives us hope, He he doesn't just want to give us a little hope. Notice back over in verse 13, towards the end of that verse, he wants us to abound in hope. That's a lot of hope. That's not just a little hope, that's a lot of hope. And again, how do we do this? Notice, we abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it goes back to really two primary ways that God fills a believer with hope. As you and I do our part to get ourselves, our minds, and our hearts into the Word of God and let the Word of God encourage us and give us hope. And then we partner that with the control and influence and power of the Holy Spirit that the Word of God and the Spirit of God can help us to abound with hope and be such a hopeful people even in the midst of hopelessness and darkness. And Rahab is a great example of that. Here was her own people who weren't responding in faith like she was responding in faith. And she lived in a culture of darkness, in a city of darkness that was getting ready to be judged by God. And yet in the midst of all that, she shined like a bright light of faith and hope through all of that. She abounded in hope. And that's why then, not only in the book of James, but in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, as we're going to see in a couple of weeks as we go through the last couple of chapters of Hebrews on Sunday morning. Rahab is in the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews 11, commended for her faith in hiding the spies. Notice one other thing, verse 13. You and I can, can know when we are abounding in hope and, and when we are filled with hope. Because the Bible says there will be a couple of other evidences in our life when hope is in our life. Notice he says there, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in Him. See, as we put our trust and faith and belief in God, God will fill us with hope, and that hope then will fill us with joy and peace. And so you and I will know whenever we are a hopeful people and when we are being filled with hope because we can look at our life and go, is there joy and peace there? No joy and peace, no hope. 
Joy and peace, hope. Because our joy, our peace, our hope are all tied together. And Rahab, a Gentile woman prostitute out of the Old Testament is a great example to us of the hope, of the faith, of the joy and peace that someone can have, that anyone can have, if they just turn their hearts towards Him.